A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. I can say I've never had that happen before. That is amazing. That I'm glad I came. <laughs> right, we could stop now and everyone will be happy. Yeah. Um, wonderful stuff. Absolutely brilliant. I always start the episodes with an analysis of your brand SERP. I just take one thing that I found interesting. So if we can show that up there, your brand SERP came up and we've kind of um, impinged upon it. Down there, you can see the image from this show. Uh, Google seems to like to put those up the two, two or three days before the show, and then they seem to disappear away again, which is delightful. And I was looking at that. Why have I covered up your face with a big white space? It's because there's no knowledge panel. But then when I looked on mobile, which is the next screen, there is, and it's a beautiful knowledge panel. I need to um, claim it. Excuse me? I need to claim it. I haven't claimed it yet. Oh, right. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. It's lovely. And I noticed that it comes from Freebase. So you have been added or somebody added you to Freebase many, many years ago. And this is actually a knowledge panel triggered by Freebase from 10 years ago, let's say, Yep. that, that is still surviving. It, it's kind of hanging on in mobile, but not in desktop. I'm now remembering too, because it was mine of my first, the first agency I was at. I remember we went through everyone that was on, like director or above. We went through a burndown list and we were just like, go claim your profiles on all these places. So that's probably how that came about. Right. Oh, so you were doing brand set management before I was even involved in it. So it was like a, we had dabbled in reputation management. We had a couple of clients for it. And so we're like, oh, we should do our own stuff. And so for like this three week long effort of mm. do your thing, and then we did the thing, and then we never thought about it again. So it goes to show how long yeah, you, it can persist. You said the word reputation management, and I've been terribly kind of, I don't know, naive, and I've been thinking all oh, brand SERPs isn't reputation management, but it is, and there's a big chunk of that in there. So I'm now embracing that and saying brand SERPs is a big part proactive and reactive uh, reputation management, um, which is kind of freeing me up to, to talk more honestly about the fact that you know cleaning up reputations is something that brand SERPs can do. And before we get on with the show, we're going to be talking about retail media in search, which is astonishingly interesting. I've read your blurb, and I'm terribly, terribly intrigued now, so I'm really looking forward to this. Before we do that, quick word from the sponsors, Ahrefs, generously sponsoring the show, keeping us on air. And I thought that today we could show some quotes of their users that I found on their sites. So I thought it might be an original way to... Uh, announce a sponsor and you obviously can read what's on the screen oh no you can't actually if you're listening to the podcast and I hadn't thought of that and I now feel suddenly a little bit foolish uh, but we've got lots of quotes of people who absolutely love Ahrefs and what it does for them and how it's helped them with their SEO work so amazing thank you Ahrefs on to the show with Elizabeth so retail media research first thing I thought was what is it <laughs> so it's funny is Retail media, as we think of it today, probably didn't exist until about three-ish years ago now. Um, really, it's been around forever when you think about, um, you know, the physical buying buying something in a paper circular or couponing. You could technically qualify that. Anything on the, on the website, you know, pre-existed, I'm sure, 10 years ago, as soon as a Walmart or a Target launches their website and they had advertising on it, technically it's retail media. But what we have today that everything is coming coming around to where you see all the big e-marketer forecasts for, and you know, you see it now in earnings reports. So like Walmart and Target have started to break out how much money they're making from advertising, which is retail media. It has really started to take off, especially as the uh, deprecation of third-party cookies and retailers are realizing that they can monetize their first-party data that they've been collecting for the better part of 
20 plus years in some cases. Oh, right. So it means that these big retailers are kind of saying, because of the third party cookie issues, they're actually kind of turning around and thinking, well, what can we now do? And it's turning out to be an advantage, a bonus, a, a surprise? It's pretty lucrative, depending on the retailer. So the larger retailers like a Walmart or a Target are able to, they have deeper pockets, right? So they can invest initially on their tech stack, whether or not they build it or buy it. So like Walmart has elected to build it. So they built sponsored search engine on walmart.com, which is kind of interesting when you think about like, for those of you out there who paid search, understand what an undertaking that can be technologically, right? Just even, and it's keyword based with different match types. So, you know, you keep adding in and adding in and that's that's a massive piece of tech. Uh, and then you have like a target that works with an SSP or a sell side platform like Critio. So they bought it rather than build it. <laughs> right. And you know what, that's, that's okay too. Cause you look at that and you go, as a paid search person, you look at it and go, well, I understand because that that is a massive undertaking. And then, just the support and the maintenance and the upgrades and, you know, as you, as you keep up and evolve. And then you have other, other retailers that aren't the biggest, the biggest retailers, but they still have, you know, single digit billions uh, that they do, or, you know, multiple chains, you know, maybe they have like 400 stores, which you think when you think about it, 4,700 Walmart stores is a lot. Um, Yeah. And then you compare to say like a, a more local grocery market that might have only only thirty two, but when you really think about it, thirty two is kind of a lot too. Like that's a lot of revenue. Right. Yeah. No. So I mean, I kind of when you say four thousand two hundred stores, I think it's outside my capacity to understand what that actually means in terms of the number of products that are actually sitting on shelves in these. It's insane. Things. And then think about. <clears throat> most of those products are also online, right? Because if yeah. they want you to be able to buy online and pick up in store, the product has to be available online. Now, even that's, in, or even that, that's incredibly <laughs> complex to make sure that when you're actually offering it for pick up in store, that, that's a big logistical deal as well without even the search engine. But the two probably go together, don't they? They do. And so when you think about, there's two types of search, right? So there's the on-site search on the retailer, which mm-hmm. functions a lot like classic Google search or what we would optimize for when it comes to Google, but they do have differentiators on site for sure. They have different weights that they take into into account. Could be anything from previous purchase history to loyalty card information to um, brand affinity, that kind of stuff. They're not nearly as sophisticated as Google is today. So the maturity is definitely not there yet. We're we're working on that. There's definitely some bugs that we found. as, as we go through this, and it's funny is as someone from with a Google background, you you understand what it could be. So like you see where it is today, and then you think about like how Google was in 2006 when I started, and you can get kind of start to wrap your head around what it could be. Right. And so in Google, when you search also for a product, you'll notice that perhaps there's a list of retailers that follow because Google likes to give you a variety, right? So you search for a product, it'll either get, you'll, you'll get some shopping results, right? So here's the places you can buy it. You might get a knowledge panel, depending on mm-hmm. if you just search for a brand name or you put in different differentiators with it. Uh, you could get a Walmart page, a Target page, a Kroger page, a Best Buy page, a Home Depot, whatever it is. Or And you can also get the brand's website and possibly social profiles. And so it really starts to get interesting when you think about what it means to be a brand in search and how right. that can permeate into other search engines. Right. Yeah. I mean, from you're, you're absolutely talking absolutely about what I'm totally mad about, which is the idea of when you search a brand name, what does it show you? Google shows you 
what it can figure out about the brand, the representation of that brand, and hopefully you can control that brand message to a maximum extent. But also different ways you can interact and engage with the brand, which would be different places you could buy whatever products it is they're selling, but also the social media and so on and so forth. Um, and how, to what extent are major brands actually looking at this kind of granular effect beyond just their own brand name, but also the brand plus other words and product names? Some do pretty well, um, and then some don't do at all. Like they don't necessarily have made the realization in part it has to do with the way that organizations are siloed, right? So the right. search person or the SEO guy or, um, <clears throat> excuse me, you remember, I don't know, as far as not even eight years ago where you would say, you know, who's in charge of, of the website? And they go, oh, the IT guy. And you're like, <laughs> that's that that's going to end well. He's going to totally not argue with me about these uh, uh, page titles that I'd like to change or the well. fact that meta keywords aren't a thing. But anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. But that's one of it. And then the other part of it is kind of interesting is where I see it evolving too, which is as the retailers stand up these services and whatnot, depending on your category, you may not even use Google anymore. In fact, you probably don't today for some of these items. Right. And in a way, what I'm doing, that's kind of what I want. Google is a competitor to me in some ways, mm. right? So if you're if you need toothpaste, do you go to Google? Or do you just go to the retailer that you're going to add to cart and then go pick it up at? Very good point. Yeah, or are you going to think... do your product research too? Yeah, I mean, for toothpaste, it would be just I've got a preferred retailer. Um, I go to that site and I figure it out on that site and the search engine on that site is what, what I'm going to be using, which I hadn't really considered. But I was talking to J.P. Sherman, who works with Red Hat, and he does their internal knowledge graph to build their search engine. I'm wondering, because he was saying that really helps him with the work on ranking in Google. Have you found the same kind of approach? Is that the more you build your internal search engine and your own internal knowledge graph, the better you perform in Google search? Yes, but not as, but is not connected to retailers, right? So they have their own universe, which is kind of what's complicating this even more. Mm -hmm. Is if you think about, I'm in five different stores, I now have counting Google, let's say in Microsoft, Microsoft, I now have seven different organic locations in wow. which my brand can appear. And I need to know, just probably go look and see what it looks like and what happens and understanding internally on those individual retailer search engines, what are the things that they care about? Because, yeah. it, you know, to the point about personalization, right? So we all know, you know, 10 years ago, someone would ask you, client would call you and be like, my ad's not showing up. And you're like, well, are you signed in? You know, it's always the first question that you had to ask was whether and to, to determine whether or not there was a personalization issue or a budget issue at hand. And it's going to be similar with if you go to bestbuy.com and they have, and you'll say you're logged in, you're going to get probably within the next couple of years, you're going to see a different search result than anybody else. Which brings me to the question, obviously, there is a disadvantage in terms of technology and data, uh, user data and also uh, search data. But for, for these companies, when they're creating their internal search engines and their users' expectations are led by what Google is providing. Yep. But that disadvantage, is it uh, counterbalanced by the fact that you're using incredibly detailed user data that you've collected over years? And so you can actually give them the results that really make sense? Only if they do that. So we are at a point where that totally makes sense. And this is where people like you and me are going to come to them and say, this is not the experience I expect because. And so then it, the onus becomes on the retailer to uh, 
to adjust and to, to, to build out their capability to give people that experience. And so it kind of puts them in a corner, but at the same time, it's a, it's a corner that we all benefit from if they do it right. And some of them are taking those are pretty sophisticated today in terms of those personalization signals. And some of them are not, I mean, you'll know, like you'll go to a retailer site, you'll make a search and you'll be like, well, that was not what I thought was going to happen. And you'll know like what's, what's happening. Right. And and, and another question, which is I was talking to Andrea Volpini from WordLift, who's obsessed by the idea that businesses should be building knowledge graphs. And then the website is simply a representation of their internal knowledge graph. Are you seeing companies going to that point with retail? That's absolutely perfect. Because if you build your knowledge graph of your categories with your products and their attributes, and you build that properly representing in a website and then representing it to Google becomes theoretically an absolute piece of cake. But probably <laughs> it's it's tough, right? Because let's say you're a brand that is sold in retailers, but you also have a D2C site. The question then becomes, where do you want them to buy from you? And so we're always pushing, mm. oh, well, wherever the customer is ready, whenever they're ready. But at the same time, like how does a brand stay a brand when they're on six different retailer sites? And each one of these retailers offer different ways in which to represent your brand. And some of them at a pretty hefty price. So some so like Instacart and Amazon offer brand experiences, right? So they have brand stores or brand pages, so places that you can host video, lifestyle right. images, yeah. um, have make it so that folks can engage. You know, even even just throw one of those pictures in, you know, with the with the product in somebody's hands, so they can get a sense of how big it is. That's my mm. favorite picture. I'm like, oh, so that's how big it is. Um, <laughs> but then you have some that will charge quite a bit, and not only will they charge you to have it, but they de-index it in Google. Like it is intentionally de-indexed and you can only find it if you drive media to it. And then when the media is over and the campaign's over, it just sits out there. Oh, right. Well, I didn't realize kind of holding you hostage with that, with that content. Yes. And if you want to upgrade it or change it, you can't, you have to pay. Right. Okay. I mean, th- that doesn't put the retail, the, sorry, the, 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 the providers off. They, I mean, that's still a, a, a decent way to do business. I mean, I would have thought it would put everybody off. And I think it sucks, well. but, you know, um, for certain brands of certain sizes, like they can afford to do that and they need to do that. And when you think about like who your number one customer is, it's not, you know, John on Elm Street. It's a, it could be a retailer if you're a brand. Like the answer could be, retailer x or retailer y and it could be it could represent 70 percent of your business in which case you know however much it costs to do a brand page is it's worth it right okay and and another question which is more to do with google once again is to what extent are these major brands paying attention to which sites are appearing which uh, outlets are appearing when you search their products or their brand names is it something they're they're looking into to, to see if they can control where Google will send their users or their, their potential clients? I'm sure there's some that are doing it that way that are, that have that thought that far apart, that, that think that way. But again, I think it comes back to that siloed piece because you're at a brand, everybody's like, you know, they're all, they're all on the different teams. You've got the search team, you've got the, the paid search team, you've got the shopping team, you've got the social team, you got the shopper marketing team, you got the brand team, however, but, you know, who owns that responsibility? Yeah. Is it the brand team? Is it the, right. or is it the search team? Or is it the paid search team? And then if they all report to different VPs or directors or whatever, like, and they don't talk, uh, right. you're, de- you're, you're dependent on a couple of people realizing it and raising their hands and saying, hey, we got to do something about this. 
And that doesn't happen very often. I mean, from what you're suggesting is there's an awful lot of siloing. I think just by like the nature of people, it probably doesn't happen very often. Right. And I mean, that horizontal communication, I mean, we were talking to Tom Critchlow about that, and he was saying one thing an SEO can do is actually communicate with these different teams because we have the data, as he said. Yep. Um, is that something pragmatically reasonable or is it un, un, unrealistic in this It's situation? absolutely reasonable. It's just interesting is Sorry. like in the three years that I've been doing retail media, I have yet to have an SEO person say anything. Right. Or be connected to or have that question come up i've gotten a few questions around paid search and overlap and some mm -hmm. of the d2c things because one of the things we what we look out for is obviously driving up the cpc um but unless you are as a brand engaging with the retailer to help pay for those search placements those paid search placements mm -hmm. it's not your problem all right okay that's very different you were talking I mean, about driving up this the, yeah <laughs> Driving up the the CPC within your internal search. I mean, kind of. I, I look at Amazon. My association was Amazon does this. They have their advertising. They've got this amazing product knowledge graph. Uh, they can they can push this stuff to you. Um, Google has the information from the web. They don't have a product knowledge graph, whereas Amazon have the product knowledge graph but don't have the information from the web. And it hadn't really occurred to me about a company like Walmart or Target. Um, to what extent can they get people onto their platform willing to pay, or brands rather, onto their platform and willing to pay? So they have a few different ways to do it. So um, there's obviously paid search. So mm. Amazon does this. There are actually, it's something at Tenuti we track. So our VP of research, um, Andy Taylor, often mm. keeps track of when Amazon enters and exits the Google shopping um, universe. Right? Oh, right. Ooh, ooh, that's interesting. When oh, does yeah. it? Um, or are so, you not allowed to share? No, so he publishes it. I want to say there's a few articles already out there, like Search Engine Land, I know is one, and obviously the Tenuity blog, he's probably got something. But um, And then our um, quarterly marketing reports, it should be in the Google the Google version. Right. But we do watch kind of to see, because it does change, right? So Because when Amazon enters the auction, it's not just, it's not small. <laughs> like yeah. It's very obvious that they're there. And in, and in, and it's very um, clearly tactical. Like it's not it's like, uh, you know, they just went around and were like, you know, let's see what categories. They know. They know what categories they're going to go after and to what volume and for how long. Um, a lot of times we'll see it ramp up right like right before Prime Day, for example. Right. Which makes but sense. When you say tactical, do you mean tactical within a strategy or just tactical one shots every now and then to see what happens? Uh, within a strategy. I right. think they know. I think they know what products. So within the Amazon ecosystem, they know uh, the velocity, right, in which right. a product will move. They understand the pricing. They understand what the mar possible margins are. They understand how much money they stand to make if that product right. is sold by them versus a third party. So taking that and then being able to apply that to a product list and say, all right, we can afford X amount of budget through Google Shopping to push sales to these product pages to generate additional lift at whatever CPC. Like, they're going to know. They have that level of detail right. if they wanted to apply it. And so, um, you know, whether or not it is, is is applied to that level consistently, I don't know because I don't work for Amazon, but no. the pieces are certainly all there. Yeah, sure. I mean, I was also thinking about kind of seasonality and, and trending products. That must be an incredible advantage they have. They see products as they start to trend and they yep. push the Google ads, which would presumably then be cheaper at the beginning. 
until they everybody realizes the detail going. pages. It's it's all about their flywheel, right? So they get the eyeballs on the, those pages, especially say like before Prime Day. Even if someone just saves it to a list or puts it in cart and like saves it, they still they know they know and they absolutely use that information. Right. Okay. Oh, dearie, I, I haven't thought about that either. I mean, and from from the Amazon perspective, as you said, it, it's a massive, massive budget, and I see them reasonably a lot. I mean, shopping for stuff. I just bought a new MacBook. They're going to be bidding on that. That's something, at least in France. Probably they... not. I oh. don't know. Did you buy it from Amazon? No, and not I didn't. Apple. I bought it from Apple. <laughs> yeah. So they're gonna. So that's see that's that's but that's to the strategy, right? So they're gonna. It's very. What we've noticed is it's very intentional, either by category, um, and it's less brand focused and more item like solving a problem kind of thing. You know, so when you think about. Uh, a category that's good for them is like kitchen and houseware accessories, right? So things that are unisex, uh, solve a problem, someone would have searched right. for, they're going to have a great price, they're going to get it to you in two days, like, they're massively competitive there. Right. Yeah, and I, I kind of, as you were talking, I've been thinking, I mean, this is going on a bit about Amazon, but I do think now, you you mentioned toothpaste, but I was looking for a USB Thunderbolt cable, and I my immediate reaction wasn't to search on Google it was to look on Amazon. Yeah. Which is shameful, I know. It's okay. It's okay. And so at Tanuni, I'm in the marketplaces department. So retail media and marketplaces are, are one. Um, so Amazon is our lion's share of the business there. So, because Amazon's obviously older. So I sit very closely with the Amazon team. Oh, right. Okay. So you, you know a lot more about all this, obviously, than, uh, than the average. A- I've had a long winding career. So I mean, started in paid search with Google. I even still have my original Yahoo ambassador search certificate from like 2006. Uh, I just couldn't bring myself to throw it away. And oh wow, then ended that, up in marketplace. Collectible now, eh? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I should probably never throw it away. And then I ended up in marketplaces: um, Amazon, eBay, uh, Walmart, even Jet. For a little while there, um, where I was at at Commerce Hub, with also with Google and Facebook's original marketplace, I was there for the uh, oh. buy on Google, the first buy button. Right. Well, you, I, I, I hadn't. Re- I, sorry, I hadn't remembered eBay. What do eBay do that the others don't? Because we've been talking a lot about um, Amazon. eBay's eBay's interesting. interesting. Yes, they are. (laughs) Oh, my. So I struggle with what to do with them in the retail media universe periodically just because they're they're interesting. They have scale. um, They're they're big enough. But the problem has to do with you have to have an eBay strategy to be on eBay as a brand, right? right? So when we think about eBay today, we think about, you know, mom and pop sellers or like, oh, yeah. I got this thing that I want to offload and it doesn't belong on Poshmark, whatever it is, right? And they, but they're about 80-ish percent, if not more, items on eBay are new. So depending on your category, eBay can be a really great place to to sell. Um, so I've seen some brands do very specific strategies around, so like Dyson. If you go and look mm-hmm. on eBay in the US for Dyson, you will find all their refurbished products. So what they've done is they take all the returns Ooh. and whatever, and they sell those via eBay. And it makes perfect sense because you're going to have limited inventory, but you right. already have all the product information. You control the pricing. And then from an advertising standpoint, it's a cost of sale. So instead of playing a CPC or a CPM, you only pay if the item sells. So someone clicks on it and buys it, That's oh. and you bid on you You tell eBay how much of the sale you're willing to you know, surrender um, in order to get it. And it's great because people 
shop around, right? And they click and they go back and they do this yeah. and they go that and they rack up the rack up those CPCs. But with eBay, it's a cost of sale. That I, I absolutely didn't know that. So I'm now totally, totally mind blown because I, I mean, that idea is is saying, you know, that's a really simple way of figuring out you've got your margin. I can give you this much. Yep. Um, and that I love it. I just it's hard because it doesn't fit in the classic retail media story with brands that have in-store presence, right? But it fits better with, say, like a brand that has a a, a clearance strategy that they want to, or a refurbishment strategy, or um, is digital only. So, like, if you're also on eBay, you're probably like on Wayfair or um, I don't know, some uh, Amazon, right? Right. Okay. Um, and you talk about the Facebook marketplace. I mean, that, I didn't even know they had a marketplace, which oh, shows how do. much I don't use Facebook. Tell me about that, because I've got no idea either that it so, exists or how it works. So it's like a elevated Craigslist-ish. So you have, you have Craigslist, right? Or something? Uh, yeah, well, I've heard of it. I've never used it. I, I thought it was it's a, a You know, it's an online marketplace where you list stuff, right? And you're buying from people. And there's like, a, there's a ton of them now in terms of like, you know, buy nothing and cashless and whatever. But with them, it was, uh, you know, you can list things as an individual seller, but also they have a capability to do brand new items. So if you go, if you have a Facebook account in the US and you scroll to marketplace, you'll start scrolling through listings and you'll see local listings in your area from sellers nearby but you will also see net new items. So a lot of times you'll see jewelry or fragrance or sometimes shoes or home electronics, whatever it is. But that is a additional arm of the Facebook marketplaces, net new items where you can sell things in quantity. So you have 500 of a thing instead of just one baby, used baby crib. Right. Okay. I never knew there were quite so many ways to sell things through third parties online. I think it's something it's very easy as a, as, a, as a brand to get lost in. I mean, how can you possibly manage all of those? It's insane. Ma they also have something called collaboration ads where certain Ooh. retailers have signed up with them and you can go through that retail. If you, as you connect it as a brand, you can go through that retailer's Facebook profile to buy Facebook ads to drive to the retailer's website, your product pages. Oh, right. So you advertise for their product page, for that, sorry, their marketplace page, to sell your products, which so it's just it's just in Facebook advertising. It's oh, right. so depending on the so some retailers have done it. I I will say I looked at the list of retailers and it's not it's not it's definitely not the top twenty five. But there's uh, there's you know if it's a smaller retailer that's only got four or five locations and mm. that's what you're in, you know that could be a really cost effective way to drive traffic to your product pages on retailer access site. Absolutely brilliant. That that was a, a delightful conversation full of things that I didn't even think I wanted to know, let alone <laughs> knew I didn't know. Uh, Elizabeth, that was that was genius and brilliant and wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank uh, you for having me. Oh, it, it was an absolute pleasure. I hope everybody else out there enjoyed it. We're going to announce next week, uh, which is going to be Kim Krausberg talking about accessibility. If we can have that screen up, there you go. Uh, better web accessibility improves profits. She is delightful. She's super smart. She knows absolutely boatloads about accessibility and how it improves profits and how it improves SEO. And I think that's something a lot of people miss. Elizabeth, could you possibly pass the baton to Kim? I will. I will do it digitally and I will do it sort of physically right here. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. That was absolutely brilliant. You get the outro song. You like the intro song. The outro song is exactly the same. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Elizabeth. <laughs>
That was awesome. <laughs> what a good way to start the start a, start a day. 